Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 83 of the Snyder Cut. I am your, I don't know, relieved host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, relieved because I finally got uh, my taxes in at H&R Block. You know, they had that April 15th deadline hanging over my head. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Then, you know, they said May 17th. So I'm getting it in right under the wire. Okay, I'm, I'm a last second kind of guy. That's just how I am. I like to procrastinate. Plus the tax situation has just been crazy this year, you know, with Collider getting acquired by, by Valnet, which is a Canadian company. Uh, so yeah, it kind of it kind of messes with things a little bit. Anyways, we've got a jam-packed show because Hollywood don't stop for nobody. So let's just dive right in. Um, I guess we have to start with the Golden Globes once again. It was announced this week that NBC will not air the Golden Globes in 2022. Doesn't mean there won't be Golden Globes in 2022. Just means that NBC won't air them. Uh, Meanwhile, Tom Cruise, his holiness, has returned all three of his Golden Globe statues, which he won for Born on the Fourth of July and Jerry Maguire in Magnolia. So he hasn't won a statue in like 22 years. Uh, Neon, which, you know, uh, released Parasite, they came out and said that they're boycotting the Golden Globes until, you know, the reform and changes are in place and things like that. I mean, come on, come on, studios, spare us your Golden Globes boycott. Like, do and to do that the day after the show gets dropped by NBC looks ridiculous. It's like someone who says, I quit as soon as they get fired. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, to talk about the, the Globes thing because it's something that I've been advocating on this podcast. As you guys know, like I have been saying for weeks, if not months, that the Golden Globes needs to go sit in a corner and take a timeout. Like they just, you know, they basically were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll make all these changes. It'll be done by May. No problem. Don't worry about it. And it's like, you can't rush change. This is not something that's just going to happen overnight. It's not just like, you know, let's just pluck a few uh, black people uh, off the streets and, and uh, make them, you know, like part of our organization. Like that, the reason that, that there are no black members in the HFPA is that the requirements are completely ridiculous to, to being a, to be a member, you know, to, I, first of all, I don't know a lot of, entertainment journalists who are writing for international publications in the first place. Um, Plus they have to live in Los Angeles, like particularly right now, why do they have to live in Los Angeles in order to be a a working member of the Golden Globes? I I don't understand that necessarily. So I think that they need to get rid of that requirement. you know, I understand that the Golden Globes are the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Yeah, you, you should be writing for the foreign press, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be foreign, right? Um, I don't know. There's a lot going on with this announcement. I mean, like I said, I, I don't know why any, you know, self-respecting Black journalists would want to be part of this organization, right? Like, like it, it, just, it just reflects like this, this tokenism. Um, I think that they need to, to make the membership bigger than just, you know, 100 people or, or 99 people now that Philip uh, Burke was, was ousted. Um, I just don't know what we, like, 
because we give this group power, does this mean that the group has to reflect, you know, the, the Amer America's racial diversity and everything? I, I just, I mean, I blame, Hollywood should blame itself because they're the ones who empower this show. Okay, these are just 90 people making their own awards. Me and me and 80 friends on Facebook could go make our own awards too. The, the difference is that they have a TV deal. But who gave them the TV deal? NBC. You know, and, and who's, who, who, you know, why is there a TV deal? Because stars keep showing up to the show. Why do stars keep showing up to the show? Because the public is telling them to. I mean, it's all just hand in hand. And it's all one fucking so, just sordid mess. And it's why none of the trades... I mean, Clayton Davis actually wrote a, a good piece about the, you know, the, the Globes and stuff recently. But like before this, none of the trades were advocating for this because they know that if there's no Golden Globes, then there's no FYC ads. Okay, that's it's all about money. Everything comes down to money. So, anyways, I want to read from this uh, Variety story. Um, it said, uh, okay, so one member of the HFPA said, maybe as an organization, we were self-absorbed and not thinking about the political correctness and the climate in this country. We are not a racist organization. This is a racist country. And to point fingers at us now and saying you should have 13% black members, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm with this person. Like the idea that, that studios, agencies, networks, whoever it is, are going to all of a sudden because of how things are in this country right now, throw up their hands and be like, oh, you know, it's like the old thing, like, oh, we are shocked, shocked to discover that there is gambling going on here, shocked. Uh, every, every single person knew about this. Every publicist, they know who, who, their, who their clients are, have been taking selfies with for the last decade. They know who they're sending the invites to when they invite them to press conferences and screenings. They, I mean, Netflix, which was the, the, the one, you know, Ted Sarandos sort of led the charge because Netflix came out heavily against the HFPA and said, we won't be doing anything else with your organization until, and then Amazon and then Neon. But it's like, Netflix, you're the ones who started all this. This all started because Netflix decided to send everyone in the HFPA on a trip to Paris to promote Emily in Paris. Can you imagine like that, that the second that show got greenlit, that was sort of the, the beginning of the end for the, for the HFPA and the Golden Globes. And I don't know that they'll be able to recover personally. I, I think that the brand itself is tarnished. I don't know. I mean, you've got Ruffalo and Scar, Scar Joe, you know, being like, it just, it doesn't mean anything to win a Golden Globe anymore, it seems like. Uh, I do think that there's a huge opportunity for, for somebody to come in and, and create what the, the next generation of the Golden Globes looks like. It doesn't have to be called the Golden Globes. It could be called like someone uh, put out there, what was it, the, um, the Platinum Planets. <laughs> I mean, you know, will, will the Critics' Choice, uh, which is the BFCA's show, will, will that step in to, to fill the void? I mean, this is like a major stop on the campaign trail before the Oscars. Uh, so, so, you know, I don't know if it'll disappear completely or be replaced by something else. Um, I, I could certainly see Penske, you know, moving in now that he has that co uh, joint venture with, with uh, MRC. Could they come in and produce, you know, the trade show? Like, why isn't it Variety, Holiday Reporter, and Deadline presenting an award show or something? Um, I, could, I could just definitely see that happening. Uh, and I'm sure that Jay has somebody working on that. Um, continuing with this variety story, several noted uh, that a coalition of over 100 Hollywood publicity firms, which have led the charge against the HFPA, do not have particularly diverse staffs either. 
Shame on the publicist to be so hypocritical, the member said. Yeah, big time. I mean, it's so funny to me to see the, the, the publicists bang the drum and get up in arms about this stuff. And it's like, look at your own stats. Look, look around. The publicist group, it's according to Variety, countered that the HFPA members are avoiding the real issues. You are part of the real issue. The publicists are the ones avoiding the issues. Like, this is what they do. They spin, they pivot. It's just... This is why I have no hair, because these people, for the most part, I have a lot of respect for publicists and corporate communications, but for the most part, we know what their job is. It's just the same job as HR. It's not to do good. It's to insulate their clients and protect evildoers. Let's be serious. The idea that HR in any company is working for you and not the organization, preposterous, having dealt with HR plenty in my career. Uh, publicists counter HFPAs are avoiding the real issues which go beyond the lack of black voters. They say the HFPA has a long history of ignoring films and shows from black creators and people of color. I mean, that's fair. And that to me is an even worse problem than there's no black voters. Okay, you don't want to have black voters, that's fine. I mean, maybe it's okay, it's not fine. It's not fine. But that's your prerogative. You don't want to have black voters or whatever. You still should be judging black films you know giving them equal weight as white films or you know non-black films like the i mean girls trip great movie queen and slim really good movie when they see us excellent docuseries like the idea that these things are not you know they're not getting people aren't showing up to the screenings people don't care about the press conferences like that to me is what is almost more fucked up than the racial diversity of the actual group itself uh, particularly, you know, with, with the clients were, were subjected to lines of questioning that they felt were demeaning. I mean, I think that goes for every A-list celebrity. I know that they've asked white celebrities and white male celebrities questions about, you know, who they're sleeping with or sex. Yeah, I mean, so it's not just like, oh, we see a piece of black talent, we're going to start demeaning them, denigrating them. I, I don't think that that's what it is. I think that the people, the journalists in the HFPA just aren't very good journalists, okay? This is not the cream of the crop. If they were, they'd be writing for the trades rather than some fucking Italian blog, okay? That's the truth. Uh, so, so I feel like they're equal opportunity offenders in, in, with, in that regard. Uh, Variety continues, Judy Solomon, who's 89 years old, was president of the group in the early 1980s for many years responsible for blah, 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 blah. Uh, she said the membership is diverse. We have Chinese, we have Japanese, we have different things. We don't have people who are black skinned for a very simple reason, because nobody applied. I mean, that is also true. You can't ignore that. A membership, an organization, can only have the people who, who, who ask to be in it. So, you know, if I was a Black journalist, you know, I'm, maybe I'm looking at the requirements and be like, okay, I got to have this many clips for, for this many foreign outlets. By the way, the whole Golden Globes thing is, is predicated on an outdated newspaper model where all these foreign, you know, publications would have a Los Angeles correspondent or stringer. It doesn't work like that anymore. They just pick pick up an, a wire story for like 25 bucks or something. So that's all, it's just like totally backwards and, and like not in the 21st century. Um, she, uh, Solomon says, well, where are we going to find them? Do you know any black journalists who write for foreign countries in Hollywood? And that's a fair point. That's what I said in my article. I feel like I know this space pretty well. I don't, I really don't know a lot of black journalists who are living in LA, uh, which is hard enough for any journalist, you know, let alone like an entertainment reporter journalist uh, who's writing for foreign countries. Like it's tough to, to live in LA on a journalist salary. Um, 
it's <laughs> anyways, two other members who also asked not to be identified, who so worried that the HFPA would hurt their professional careers. Yeah, so, you know, everyone used to trip over themselves to give these people access. Now, okay, now no one wants to be associated with these Globes voters, so they can't even file, you know, the, the, the stories, right, to their international publications. So it's like, I don't know, I agree that the HFPA makes an easy target, right? It has nothing, it has even less to do with the diversity and just the overall corruption, you know, that has, had, that has plagued the group's reputation for, for decades. Um, but they're an easy scapegoat. I mean, particularly when there's no black voters. I mean, if there was like a low percentage, if it was like, oh, we have 10% black voters, well, that has to be corrected too. But when there's no black voters, yeah, like that's unacceptable. Um, yeah, okay, the, uh, the member says, other journalists do the same thing in terms of uh, accepting swag and things like that. Most of us are good journalists, but that's not how we're being written about in the press, it's very unfair. I think that I think that, that is true too. The HFPA are not the only people accepting swag and, and taking selfies with, with stars and stuff like that. You know, I, I, there are a lot of people who get flown all over the world and it's not always to Paris, Rambly in Paris, but trips to Hawaii, to London. I mean, the fact that studios pick up the tab for this stuff, it's not journalistically sound, it's not ethical. And so like when I went to the Spider-Man Far From Home set visit on behalf of Mashable, which never ran because I got fired from Mashable, uh, Mashable made sure to pick up the tab. That was always Josh Dickey's prerog like, prerogative. Like if we're gonna cover something that we're going to pay our own way there so that we're not gonna feel any you know, we're going to be able to write what we want to write. Um, we're not going to feel any obligation because the studio shelled out thousands of dollars to send me to Atlanta or, or London or Paris, wherever it is. No. Uh, so if we think something's worth covering, we're going to pay for it ourselves. But th this member in the HFPA is correct. Everyone is benefiting from this from this system and it's, and it's fucked up. Uh, Solomon also seemed confident that any riff with NBC would be temporary. There are many other broadcasters that will take something which is legitimate. So big deal. If everything is fine, do you think any other one wouldn't pick them up? Please. No one is going to win if it disappears. That in a nutshell is defines what is wrong with the HFPA. So she's, first of all, the idea that you're legitimate, you're not legitimate. I mean, you gave people, you gave awards to black people this year and, and good for you. There were, there were a lot of deserving black winners, quite frankly, this year. Um, but yeah, she's basically saying big deal if NBC drops us. Uh, you don't think someone else would pick up this show, be, you know, which is a legitimate show. No, I don't. I think anyone would be crazy to touch you right now um, unless they were really just doing it for like the, the publicity. And even then, I don't know how you're going to get talent into the show. Um, but yeah, please, no one is going to win if it disappears. Okay, then people don't win a Golden Globe. Who gives a fuck? Like, I just, I always found that funny in press releases when it's like so-and-so is a, you know, Golden Globe winning actor. Like, I put that in stories every now and then, but like, I kind of stick to like Oscars and Emmys. If you don't have an Oscar and Emmy, you know, occasionally a Tony, it's like, I don't care what silly awards you want. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. They're, the Golden Globes, they have a lot of work to do and it's going to take a lot longer than a few weeks to get it done. So I really hope that they do take this time to learn and to listen and yeah, take the year off. You can still give out the awards via press release if you really want, if the, if the, if the membership really wants to vote. But I don't think that there can be a show at all in any form this year 
And I think they, they should come back in 2023, you know, knowing who they are with a better, better sense of, you know, their mission and what they want to be, who they want to be, what they want to accomplish in, in the industry. Um, also shutting down this week, the Ellen DeGeneres show. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of different things. Was this Ellen's decision? Was it, you know, Warner Brothers TV or whatever? Um, I, th I think that Ellen really has had a tough time recovering in the ratings after that, that uh, expose that, that BuzzFeed ran. I mean, it's just tough when you're making your whole brand be kind. And then there's all these, you know, things behind the scenes of you not being so kind. And, um, you know, I, I, I followed Doucemois on, on Instagram, Doucemois World, or however we're going to pronounce that. And, uh, you know, I, I, like I read stuff today and I know it's gossip and that we shouldn't believe gossip, but it's also just so detailed and was so clearly written by a former intern or assistant. It just seems naive to just ignore that stuff. Um, I don't think Ellen is a particularly great person from what it sounds like. These people have been living in a bubble, a, a million or billionaire bubble for so long, they don't even know like what normal behavior is. I'm telling you, okay? They, they, have, no, I, they have no concept of how the average person like lives and, and, and works and, and the stress that the average person is, is under. Um, listen, Ellen had a hell of a run, 19 years. I think she's legitimately like hilarious. She, she is a great comedian and I'm sure that she will find, you know, something else that, that is worthy of her talents. Maybe she'll, you know, I'd like to see her do a Louie type of sitcom, something that's not just like a fucking, you know, her in a house with two roommates and like a love, it's just like, no, uh, not that her sitcom was terrible in the, in the 90s, but like she's evolved past that format. I think if she could do something really creative, like a Louie type of show or even what did, uh, what was that Kenya Bear show on Netflix? So it was, um, I'm totally fucking blanking on it now. It, it was hashtag fuck, no fucking idea, but something like that where she's playing herself, but, but not really, um, that could be fun. Uh, what else to say about Ellen? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what I did think was interesting that Variety said that, uh, that that Warner Brothers was courting Jennifer Aniston for that slot. Um, that seems like it would be beneath her. I mean, I, I think Jennifer Aniston is, is like a good actress. Like she's a better actress than Ellen ever was. That's for sure. I mean, she could be doing a cool HBO series like you know why are why is Nicole Kidman do, doing all these limited series why can't Jennifer Aniston star in Big Little Lives or The Undoing or something like that um so no I don't want Jennifer Aniston hosting that that daytime show you should, you know you can leave that to, to Kelly Clarkson um yeah Ellen there's a zillion other spinoffs she, she will be just fine she's not hurting at at, uh, at all and um you know her, her fans I think will will stick by her I think it's just I don't know, man. Cra crazy times we're living in. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Eternals both having trouble uh, securing China releases. This was kind of interesting. It, like the state broadcaster in China, um, you know, came out with a bunch of, you know, upcoming release dates for Marvel movies and Shang-Chi and the Eternals were not included, even though Shang-Chi, you know, is about this uh, Chinese um, superhero. Like, you would think that, that they'd want that to play in, in theaters over there. Um, but I think, it, yeah, there was a problem with like the, the villain and the, the Mandarin as played by Tony Leung or, or 
that the Mandarin is just a new name for, was it? I don't even know. Oh, Fu Manchu maybe. Um, I don't know. And then obviously with, you know, with the Chloe Zhao stuff, like, you know, all of her accomplishments were wiped off the, the, the Chinese internet. Uh, her, you know, no mention of her like winning the Oscars for, for Nomadland. So I think that if any movie gets in, it'll be Shang-Chi. Eternals is really facing an uphill battle. I, I don't really, you know, I can't claim to understand all the, the, the political sensitivities in, in China regarding, you know, prop, propaganda and, and U.S. movies and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, but because it, it sounds very, very complicated. But yeah, they are just very much not into Chloe Zhao. I know, I know that much. Um, so Eternals could, could have a tough time uh, getting into that country. All right. Whew, now we got like the fun deal stuff. That was like the heavy, the heavy stuff. You know, Knives Out 2. Here we go. Dave Bautista, Ed Norton, Janelle Monet. That is a hell of a cast joining Daniel Craig in Ryan Johnson's murder mystery sequel, which is now on Netflix. Uh, Hollywood Reporter said, you know, had a little thing that, that the $469 million deal that there were two, you know, uh, givens, two requirements in the deal that, that Daniel Craig star in both the sequels and that the sequels maintain roughly the same budget. Uh, as the first film, which was $40 million, um, which I like. I, I don't want to see a $100 million version of, of Knives Out because, you know, that, that just comes with more action set, set pieces and things like that. And uh, I, I like the return. Uh, I like seeing mid-budget movies successful and a movie that really has to rely on its script more than, than visual effects. Now, I didn't like the, the script for the first Knives Out. I thought the mystery was kind of silly having, you know, being a pretty big connoisseur of, of murder mysteries myself. Um, but the cast was great. And, and I love this cast, the way it's shaping up. Dave Batiste, I hope they, they, they allow him uh, to have a sense of humor in this film. Ed Norton is one of my favorites. Janelle Monet is really, really good. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I just want to know what, what this story is going to be. Is it going, is it going to be another family a la Knives Out? Um, you know, will it be like a, corporate thing you know like an, an office there's a murder in the office and, and Benoit Blanc has to come to the office to interview everybody I I don't know I can't wait to find out and I do know um that, that Brian Swordstrom uh the agent over at UTA he I forget I'm forgetting who he actually reps um that's involved in this but he went on Twitter and said the script is fantastic and I actually I'm a, I'm a big uh, Brian Swordstrom guy so if he's saying something's great I'm going to take his word for it Knives Out 2, shooting in Greece this summer. Regina King signing on to do Bitter Root, which is a comic book adaptation. Um, it's, you know, it, it's racially charged. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, set in like the, the 20s during like the Harlem Renaissance. And because I would say that there's real substance in this comic book, that, that it's about something, uh, then I'm glad to see... I think that if Regina King was going to, to do a comic book movie, I'm glad it's one like this rather than something like a Marvel or DC, DC property. Having said that, I, I do not like that, that we just, we, we get a great new female director on the block, whether it's Regina King or Olivia Wilde or Chloe Zhao, and it's let's get them a comic book movie immediately. I hate, I hate that that is how the industry thinks. And I, I get why that's how the industry thinks, I understand it from a business perspective. It drives me crazy from a creative perspective. And it's why I will always have respect for Catherine Bigelow, who I guarantee you has been offered everything under the sun, but decides to tell the stories that she wants to tell. 
I mean, not, not that, you know, these women aren't choosing to tell these stories. I'm sure that they are. I'm sure they're flooded with tons of offers too. But I just, it's just enough. Like, isn't it enough to do, it's a, it's a deluge of superhero movies. It, it's taking over the culture and it's not, it's not the best thing. It really is not. Um, because I think it teaches people to, rather than save themselves, to wait to be saved. Now, Emily Blunt sort of touched on this uh, in some recent comments where, where she kind of came out because, you know, there were a lot of, you know, rumors linking her to Fantastic Four. Obviously, Disney loves her between Mary Poppins Returns and Jungle Cruise, which we'll be talking about in a second. But uh, Emily Blunt just came out and was just like, listen, there's fucking enough. Like, I don't need to be a part of that stuff. It's, 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 it's overload. Uh, and, and, I, and I actually appreciate her coming out and saying that and, and saying, she listen, she could still very well wind up cast as Sue Storm. You never know how much money they're, they're going to, you know, offer her or, you know, who her co-stars will be or whatever. But it was actually kind of nice to see Emily Blunt poo-poo those rumors and be like, I don't even know that that's something I even want to do, guys. Um, Idris Elba and Sam Hargrave, they just teamed up. Uh, Sam Hargrave is the director of Extraction. They teamed up for a, a movie called Stay Frosty, which sold for like a, uh, about a million dollars from this guy, Tyler Marseca, who you know, scored a big uh, spec sale hit uh, you know, in 2012 or 2013 with the Disciple program, which sold the Universal with Mark Wahlberg attached. Uh, this sounds like a, a holiday action movie, like a Die Hard or a Lethal Weapon. Uh, you know, Idris Elba trying to get back just in time to spend the holidays with his son, but there's like an assassin chasing him. He's got to figure out who wants him dead and why. I mean, it's a lot to pay for a script, but it sounds like an interesting package. I, you know, I think um, Idris Elba, he's got, you know, the Suicide Squad coming up for Warner Brothers. He's in George Miller's new movie. So like he, and, and oh, right. also, um, yeah, The Harder They Fall, which could be a really big movie for Netflix. So this is not like the same Idris Elba who was in like The Dark Tower. He has um, he has some big projects on the horizon. I could see why a studio would pay a million dollars to get him in a big action movie from the director of Extraction, who clearly knows his way around an action set piece. Um, Gal Gadot says Joss Whedon threatened her career. Take some balls for the writer-director of 2012's Much Ado About Nothing to threaten Wonder Woman. Uh, that, that, that is what I would have to say about that. I'm glad that that gal feels, you know, um, able to just, you know, speak her truth and, and uh, doesn't have to worry about fucking Joss Whedon, who <laughs> I've just never been a Whedon guy. I, I, you know, in, in college, I had one roommate who would watch Buffy and Angel and Firefly and all the Serenity and all these fucking shows. I don't even know if he's involved in all those. And I was just like, yeah, this guy is, is definitely not for me. Dollhouse, all this shit. No, I'm not on Whedon's uh, level, even though I can respect what he did with uh, with, with the Avengers and the MCU. Uh, I'm glad Gal, Gal won that. Although, you know, Gal, uh, you know, also in the crosshairs this week with some, you know, of her Israel posts there's a lot of israel palestine stuff going on i'm you know i live in my own bubble here in in, in massachusetts uh, i i've seen the headlines but um i've just never really gotten into the the, the israel palestine battle not not really stepping foot on in that in that one uh a24 partners with apple on the tragedy of macbeth which a24 release in theaters in uh the fourth quarter of this year before it makes its way to apple tv 
Sure. I don't really understand what this means. It sounds like it's just they're getting the first window post theatrical. Like, isn't that really it? I mean, is a is a twenty four going to be spending on marketing materials, like money that you know is sorry, is Apple going to spend to market the movie in theaters? I I just I don't know what exactly it all means. Apple and A24 are already sort of in business together. Um, yeah, whatever. I'm really looking forward to the tragedy of Macbeth. What if it brought, you know, more Oscars to, to Denzel and, and Francis McDormand and, and even Joel Cohen? I think that they both have four now, McDormand and, and Joel Cohen. It's crazy. Uh, but I do like that Macbeth story. It was always one of my favorite Shakespeare ones. Um, oh boy. Like Gal Gadot, Lakeith Stanfield wading into an anti-Semitic clubhouse controversy. <clears throat> I guess this is where uh, I talk about just like, what what is clubhouse? Why are people, this seems like the dumbest fucking app. I, you'll never see me on it. I have received clubhouse invite and declined. I do not care. I do not want to be in it. And I, it just seems like a dangerous idea for celebrities as well. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield, you're moderating a, a conversation that's just gone off the rails and it's all about anti-Semitism. I, I get that he didn't really say anything that, that uh, could be perceived as anti-Semitic. Um, but I think if there, you know, people were like, oh, well, you, you can't just stay, stay neutral. You can't play both sides when there's something like that going on in a chat. I just don't know, what is the point of even moderating a fucking chat where like anybody just gets to chime in? Uh, why was his name attached to this controversy? It, it seems so meaningless and, and, and silly. Um, and, and I know Lakeith a little, and he's, he's like a weird guy. And I like that about him. I like that he's, seen, he's like a real person, but Lakeith, don't, don't fuck around on that app, man. You, like you just got an Oscar nomination. Your career is just blowing up why why jeopardize it or, or, or risk it you know with stupid shit like this um yeah <sighs> the friends premiere date coming may 27th to hbo max which is what i had said all along that it was going to tape at the beginning of may and release by the end of may we're going to get tom Selleck, elliot gould and, and do i have this right malala will be guest guesting on the, the Friends reunion special. Oh, it'll be just so glorious to see Monica and, and Rachel and, and Phoebe all together again. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland uh, signing on to a spy series at Paramount Plus. I mean, that's music to my ears, right? Kiefer Sutherland's just a fucking badass, right? 24, Jack Bauer, he's the man. I really like The Fugitive too. And, and all those Quibi shows, right? Like The Fugitive and, and The Stranger, they're all going to be like on... They're, they were announced today as Roku Originals. I don't understand that branding, Roku Originals. It just means what? You you can't get this anywhere else because it's not original. It was fucking Quibi original. I mean, it's like, is this a lie? Could like, could I sue them for lying to the public? It's false advertising. It's not a fucking Roku original. Like, you know, all the streamers do that, a Netflix original, an Apple original, but it's like, okay, you just acquired it from, from another studio that made it. Like, it, it's their execs who made it. 
know, the original tag drives me nuts. Emily Watson and Paul Mescal, one of those, you know, uh, hot, hot young stars who could ring my doorbell right now and I have no fucking idea who he is. Uh, sorry, I didn't watch normal people. I'm, I'm not a normal person. Uh, they're going to star in the A24 psychological thriller God's Creatures from Anna Rose, Hol uh, Rose Homer, who did The Fits. I think she's co-directing this with, with her editor on The Fits. Um, the Fits showed some promise. I didn't really care for it. Uh, it didn't really go anywhere to me, but but um, I, I'm glad that, that uh, Ms. Homer got a, a, another gig because she did intrigue me with that one. Uh, and speaking of, of people who have intrigued me, Rachel Senat joined the cast of A24's Bodies, 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 along with Connor uh, O'Malley and Lee Pace. Um, Rachel Senat, I would love to, to interview her soon. She was great in, in Shiva Baby. Uh, you know, she's developing another project called Bottoms, like a sex comedy. She just signed on to this Bodies, Bodies, Bodies project, which I know A24 has high hopes for. They think it could be like the scream of this generation. I'll be the judge of that one, A24. Um, but I, I really like the cast that they have for that movie between, you know, Manla Stenberg, Maria Bakalova, Pete Davidson, Rachel Senna, Connor O'Malley. It's, it, it's a good crew they got. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, it's, again, it just goes back to like Hollywood greed, I think. Um, and, and just like why celebrities there's just like this obsession with celebrity and, and it's crazy. So Tessa Thompson has set up a, a puzzle competition series or a puzzle series or something or other. I don't even write what down, what would down what fucking dumbass streamer did this probably Peacock or something is the backstory was like Tessa Thompson was like did a puzzle at home with her family. And because they're all crowded around a table working on a puzzle, they actually had a conversation for a change and she's like, wow, this could be a TV show. <laughs> and now, it, it, you know, she thinks it's like comedians in cars getting coffee where she's going to sit down and do a puzzle someone with, with someone they're going to have a conversation. I mean, good for you, Tessa Thompson. Like, way to make that paper and, 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 and do that hustle. But, like, this is a good actress. Tessa Thompson is a good actress. Why is she being relegated to a fucking puzzle series? Like... What is going on? Couldn't we have some incredible puzzle master as the host of that show? Same thing with this Demi Lovato UFO show. Demi Lovato, who would have thought that she's the person to host this UFO show? Is it just that, like, does she have, did she have the idea? Did someone else have the idea? And Demi, like, someone, a friend of theirs just knew Demi Lovato, so she's the easiest celebrity they could get to host it. Like, why not get like a fucking UFO nerd who hosts some big podcast or is associated with that community to host this? Like, why are we turning the people like Tessa Thompson and Demi Lovato to, to host these just like, what do you want me to say? They're fucking garbage reality shows, okay? They're garbage reality shows. And I understand that garbage has a place in our entertainment uh, ecosphere. You know, they don't all have to be uh, Steve McQueen, uh, you know, small acts anthologies but like tessa thompson deserves better and a ufo show deserves better than demi lovato all due respect jungle cruise just announced that that's hitting disney premiere plus uh disney plus premiere excuse me this summer uh for 30 bucks so that'll be like black widow and ryan the last dragon and all these other fucking movies 
Um, and, and, and like, I get it. I, you know, you, you make these movies for families. People are, families are still a little wary about returning to theaters, or at least, you know, we'll see. Um, Cruella will be a big test of that. Uh, but, but, you know, there are parts of Europe that are still shut down, Brazil. So, you know, I, I like giving the consumer choice at this moment. Um, you know, I have, I, part of me was planning to go see Spiral tomorrow night, and then a Spiral screener just popped up in my inbox. So it's like, I like having that choice. Um, now, you know, a, a screener is not just going to pop up in everyone's inbox. It's still going to be 30 bucks, which is, you know, a, 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 an investment for sure. But if you've got a couple kids, you would be spending that just on popcorn alone, basically. Uh, so I'm glad that, that uh, they came to a compromise and that they're going to be, you know, the, the, the people will be able to see Jungle Cruise wherever they want to see it. And I think that, they, that Disney struck a deal with, with Cinemark after Cinemark refused to play Ryan the Last Dragon. Um, the thing that I loved about this announcement, though, was The Rock going on, on Twitter and, and offering a, a Terramanos toast. The Rock, can we, like, promote one thing at a time? Like, now you're sneaking in Terramanos plugs into tweets about promoting your movies. Like, it's just, it is crazy. It's brilliant. Again, can't knock The Rock's hustle, but, like, can we get, can people just be, like, genuine? Can, like, Oh man, everything is just so like, let's milk it for every opportunity. Every little, like, can we get a little product placement into this fucking tweet about Jungle Cruise? It's crazy. Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite has announced he's working on a Korean animated film about humans and deep water sea creatures. Deep sea creatures, I suppose. Uh, sure. The guy did the hosts. Did Parasite gets to do whatever he wants. Um, I like the idea of an animated sea creature thing. Although, isn't that what Luca is? The new Pixar movie? I don't, I don't understand it. Um, Enola Holmes is getting a sequel with Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill. Didn't see Enola Holmes. Not sure I'm going to see Enola Holmes. Don't really care about the sequel, but understand why, you know, if you're Netflix... How do you not make a sequel from this? It's, it's, it's your girl, Millie Bobby Brown. Plus, you've got him. These are like the stars of your two biggest shows, right? Stranger Things and The Witcher. So, yeah, you're going to pay through the nose to bring them back for a sequel, for a, a franchise and a property that really lends itself to a sequel and, uh, and honestly, multiple sequels. Uh, Betty Gilpin and Shay Wiggum signing on to Gaslit. That's that old Army Hammer TV show involving Watergate. Uh, I think Betty Gilpin's going to be playing Dan Stevens' wife. Dan Stevens is playing John Dean. Shea Wiggum, you know, one of my favorites. He's, he's just one of the greatest character actors ever. Um, we're getting two shows about, about Watergate. It, it, this stuff always seems to happen in TV. So we're getting Gaslit. We're getting the White House Plumber show. Uh, both will probably premiere around the same time. But you know what? It's, t it's time for some new Watergate stories. It's not like we could just let all the president's men, uh, you know, be, be, be the end of the story, right? We have a lot, lot more uh, perspective on things all these years later. Hulu acquired a nine-part Lakers documentary series from Antoine Fuqua and my old roommate, Brendan Bragg. I know he's been working on this for years and years. Um, I was really excited to see that sell to Hulu. This could very well end up being like, you know, the last dance for, for 2022, uh, you know, it, it does the Showtime era Lakers. It does the Laker, uh, the Kobe and Shaq years. It, it brings it up to the present day with uh, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. 
Um, so I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating. And I know Brendan really cares about it, even though he's a Celtics fan. Uh, you know, we still re- re- respect our, our nemesis. They, they are worthy. Uh, they have proven themselves worthy opponents, the Lakers. We got our first image of Leonardo DiCaprio and the Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I think there was an, uh, the internet had fun with this one and a New York Post story that was like, Leonardo DiCaprio unrecognizable in first photo from Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, he did look a little younger almost. He looked like Dane DeHaanish, but it was still very much Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't fooling anybody. Jamie Bell joining Elizabeth Moss in The Shining Girls on Apple. I'm looking forward to that show. Why? Uh, I bought the book years and years ago. I've been tracking this project since it was over at Warner Brothers as a movie. Uh, I think I read 40 or 50 pages and I, I don't know why I never finished it. Um, but I love the, the idea. You know, it's about a time traveling serial killer. Um, I don't know if Jamie Bell's going to be playing that killer, if it's Bogdan Moore or who. Uh, I think Jamie Bell probably makes more sense though. Uh, Faces of Death is getting a remake at Legendary from the Cam filmmakers. I don't know that I ever saw Faces of Death movie, although I certainly, you know, heard about that franchise growing up. It was sort of like the 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 the, the cult movie that got whispered about. Um, you know, didn't really love Cam, but I suppose it showed some some promise. And this seems like the the right project. Yeah, sorry, didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um, the right project to make that next step with. And I did like their, their actually their, their, their take on it, um, how it's like about like an internet uh, moderator on like a YouTube-like website who has to, you know, find these gruesome clips and, and pull them off the site. And she sort of goes down the rabbit hole to see, you know, to find out if these things are real. Uh, I, I do think that is a pretty good take for, for a Faces of Death movie. I'm just surprised, legendary, just really getting into the, the horror realm between that and, and the Texas Chainsaw movie that we um, talked about last week, which I think Brad Miska confirmed is just called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's not Texas Chainsaw Begins, which I think is how it was referred to in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and Gory Rice, who is really good on Mayor of Easttown, her and Mary Holland, who's also really good in Golden Alarm, available on BOD now. Check it out. They joined Rebel Wilson in the comedy Senior Year over at Paramount. And then Deaver Fever struck again. Caitlin Deaver signing on to star in Rosalind over at 20th Century Studios. Um, Rosalind has been in development for ages, just like almost as long as I've been a film reporter, it seems like. I, that and like the Juliet. Um, Rosalind is like a, a, a modern take, a modern comedic take on Romeo and Juliet told from the point of view of uh, Juliet's cousin, who is also Romeo's ex, I believe. So I think she like tries to split up Romeo and Juliet and then realizes that this is true love and then has to get them back together. Um, all I know is Caitlin Deaver, excellent actress and uh, everybody wants to work with her. The Hodge brothers, my boy Aldous Hodge and Edwin Hodge, who I really like in All the Boys uh, Love Mandy Lane, they are going to be teaming up on a remake of Parallel Forest uh, original didn't sound that interesting, you know, okay, I'm not terribly excited about this project, but it's nice to see the brothers working together. I always like seeing the Franco boys together, Skarsgårds, um, you know, things like that. So, uh, Aldous Hodge blown up, giving his, his brother Edwin Hodge a, a, a hand. Not that Edwin, you know, uh, you know, d- d- doesn't work consistently either, but Aldous is certainly, um, you know, the bigger of the two at the moment. 
Lord and Miller signing on to do the premonition for Universal with uh, Amy Pascal producing. It sounds like they were both both wanting to do this book. Um, and then they're just like, fuck it, we'll just team up. It's about the early days of COVID, the people who tried to warn us and, and alert the scientific community and, and that kind of stuff. It sounds like, you know, it, it's basically a, a contagion type of story. And I, and I like to see Lord Miller moving into this direction. I mean, what was the last movie they even directed? Like 22 Jump Street, right? Because they got booted off the Star Wars movie. They've obviously done a lot of, you know, a animation and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, and, and they are doing that, that Project Hail Mary movie with Ryan Gosling, which I, I do expect will be first, although it seems like this is more timely. I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. Because I know Gosling is obviously pretty busy himself. Um... Sebastian Maniscalco joining Ray Romano's next directorial effort or his, his directorial debut, excuse me. Uh, and then Sebastian Maniscalco also got Robert De Niro to play his father in a movie about Sebastian's uh, real life relationship with his dad. I really like Sebastian Maniscalco. I think he's very, very funny. And I think that you couldn't ask for like a better, you know, Italian dad than, than Robert De Niro, right? Like what a... Um, and they worked together on The Irishman. So I, I think that that's where that connection came in. Because, like, De Niro is a nice get, I think, for that Sebastian Maniscalco movie. But he had that prior relationship with him. And, and uh, those things can go a long way. A lot of Hollywood con queen stuff in the news this week. There's going to be a TV series and an unscripted docuseries. And I'm happy for my pal Andy Horowitz, uh, you know, over at um, Atlas, who's really been driving this train but I just never thought the story was all that interesting. I, I'm kind of uh, curious to see if that show catches on with like the general public or if it's just a story that kind of intrigues us Hollywood insiders. Um, you know, it's just like a, an elaborate game of, of, of catfish really. But I don't know. I, I don't know that if like my grandmother or my brothers would really care about something like that. Uh, I just got the, 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 there's just so many podcasts these days. I mean, I don't know who, who has time to listen to all of them. I mean, there, there's shows and movies becoming podcasts and podcasts and, and you know, becoming shows and, and movies. And it's just, and all these podcasts now are getting press before podcasts very rarely got press. So it's like the number of stories that I see from deadline and Hollywood report and variety you know, if 50% are TV and 50% are film, it's like we're getting 150% now because there's like this whole other, you know, breed of, of podcast story now. And it's just, they're, they're, they are legion. There's so many of them. I, I like, who was listening to all these podcasts? Who has the time? I, I listen to podcasts like when I'm, you know, stuck in traffic or something, but it was always like, you know, sports podcasts and movie podcasts, like people really con con consuming serialized stories and stuff like that still years after serial and just i don't know that's not how i would want to hear a story i mean i guess it's not much different than reading a book about this stuff but i don't know i, I feel like i concentrate when i'm reading a book and i fill in the, the the blanks with my own imagination i guess that's what they're asking you to do with a podcast but i would have a tough time listening and and thinking i don't know it's just not a podcast guy. I just never caught on with it. Uh, Jordan Moblo hired as Netflix's big uh, book scout. Uh, hired, they hired him away from Disney. 
this is a guy I'd love to work on that team. I, I you know, I, I, I never had Scott Rudin like highbrow taste in, in fiction, you know, where I can uh, say, oh, the art of fielding, the art of fielding needs to be a movie or the corrections by Jonathan Franzen should be a series. Uh, I would just like to to go work for Netflix and, and and find these diamonds in the rough and these books that were overlooked or or that were really big and no one and, and they've just been forgotten about, or you know they were optioned by a big studio and that option has lapsed and they're now available. Like I just I find that book scouts are really into like what's new. They're always like what you know what's going to be the new hot book that everybody's going to be reading, and they don't really look backwards. And I think that there's still so much material out there. Um, that hasn't been picked over uh, that, that would really make particularly good IP for Netflix. Uh, I sent him a little DM on, on Instagram, but he never, he, he didn't run, not, he didn't respond. I don't expect him to, uh, but if you know, Jordan, tell, tell him, uh, I think I could be an asset to his team. Uh, the card counter set for release on September 10th. I'm looking forward to this Paul Schrader movie. Yes, I am. It's a revenge movie with Oscar Isaac, Willem Dafoe, Hi, Sheridan, Tiffany Haddish. I know a little bit about the plot. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and WME, its partners sold off uh, 20% of the stock. That, you know, Now that they went public, they were allowed to, to sell off a, a bunch of stock that everybody was sort of forced to, to hold on to. Ari Emanuel, Patrick Whitesell, these guys have, have more money than God now, more money than, than most of their clients. Uh, which really makes me just think I, I, I got into the wrong business here, journalism. I should have just stuck it out and, and gone into an agency mail room or, or something like that. Uh, I probably would have been miserable for the last decade, but uh, then now I'd be happy. Whereas, you know, for the last decade, I was happy and now, now I'm miserable. Mainly because all my friends are having kids and buying homes and getting married and I don't have any of these things. Um, what else? Netflix picked up Pray Away, a gay conversion therapy doc from Blumhouse Television, Ryan Murphy, who previously did The Normal Heart together, which I absolutely love. We've seen the gay conversion therapy story told before in, in you know, movies like Boy Erased, Lucas Hedges, but a, you know, a documentary uh, could, could really hit home a lot harder, you know, see, seeing the real thing in action and some of the actual uh, you know, people who, who have undergone this thing. I mean, there's no, you can't convert, there's no fucking therapy that can convert your, your, your sexuality. It's just, it's crazy. I feel bad for, for anyone whose parents like, you know, sent them off to one of those horrible programs. Um, all right, a little plug for Insider Plus. Uh, I did rank, you know, I, I, I've been weighing in on trailers a lot more because with news, Okay, the new stuff is tricky. I'm going to have to, um, sorry, you know, put that out on, on the main feed and share that with, with the 33,000 people. But like thoughts on trailers or fun little lists, that can go to Insider Plus. And so Insider Plus, I, I, I put up my uh, rankings for like all the John Grisham movies. Did not know Christmas with the Cranks was a John Grisham movie, by the way. Put up the rankings for all the Tom Clancy movies, although I never actually saw Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit with Chris Pine. Forgive me. So uh, if you're curious as to my rankings for those best-selling authors and the adaptations of their work, make sure to subscribe to Insider Plus. Um, I'd also like to hear just a little bit of feedback for those watching this. I am thinking of starting an entertainment journalism course. It would be a six-week course that would cost uh, several hundred dollars. 
And each week would be about a two hour course. I'm thinking Wednesday nights and I've like come up with a curriculum and everything. And, and, you know, I want to, I want to help people and I want to help. Um, I want to give back and I want to give back to, to, uh, to students of, of, of color. Like I want to get more entertainment journalists um, of color in, in the space. And I just don't think that, you know, a lot of people go off to college to become entertainment journalists. Like it's, you don't drop $200,000 on a degree from NYU to then go, you know, make 65, 70 grand a year, if that, as an entertainment reporter, you know? And, and that's like a well-paid one. I think most entertainment reporters are probably making between 40 and, and 55 grand or something. So, you know, a lot of people don't want to spend 100 to 200 grand on a four-year education that'll show you how to, you know, do movie blogging or whatever. So, you know, I, I want to offer a course that is affordably priced and that I promise you, you will learn more after six weeks with me than you would in four years at a proper journalism school, I believe. I mean, plus you, plus you have at least one contact graduating from that course. Whereas when you graduate from NYU, okay, great. But do you have any contacts? You know, um, there's going to be more details on this and what it's going to look like and what the timing would be. And, and, um, but like, you know, I keep the class size small. Uh, but, but it's definitely something that I've been thinking about because I was an education minor at NYU, a screenwriting major, education minor. And I always liked, you know, working with kids. I was a camp counselor. And yeah, I just want to, I want to feel good about myself and my contributions to our industry. And I think that the way to do that is by teaching a course. And that means teaching everyone the good habits that I've learned and the bad habits that, I, that I've learned. Like I can teach you what not to do. Um, and that goes of course for, for, for antics on social media, which I learned the hard way. All right, we've got a mailbag heavy uh, segment coming up. I just wanna do some trailers and reviews real quick. I'm gonna try to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> Ambitious. Um, trailers. We got a trailer for the Forever Purge, which you know was being marketed as the last entry in the Purge franchise, but now Universal isn't quite ready to commit to that. So there could very well be more Purge on the horizon. This one, it looked a little like the Hunt, like like a little bit of a redneck uh, vibe to it with horses and cowboys and shit like that. I don't know. I, I'm down to see this. This franchise could have been amazing. And I think it has been a bit of a missed opportunity, but it's been successful. And I will continue to see each installment. Uh, Stillwater, we got a trailer for. That's Tom McCarthy's new movie with Matt Damon as like a, you know, another roughneck Oklahoma guy. You can tell because he's got you know, mean looking facial hair whose daughter gets, you know, wrapped up in like a, a murder essentially and accused of murder in France. And he has to go over to France to try to get her out. I thought it looked really good. I think Tom McCarthy's an underrated director. I didn't see his last movie, Timmy Failure, but you know, Spotlight, Win Win, Station Agent, like he makes movies about people and, and real stories. And, and that's what I'm interested in right now. Uh, we also got to look at Fatherhood with Kevin Hart. That's a movie that Sony, I believe sold to Netflix. Uh, and I thought it looked really sweet. I, I, I you know, I, I like Kevin Hart. And I never saw the upside where he was, you know, a, a more dramatic role with, with him and Brian Cranston. Um, but this looked like a nice vehicle for him. Uh, where he's not just like, you know, screaming and doing the, doing the crazy Kevin Hart thing. 
Um, yeah, I, 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 and it's coming out, you know, time to Father's Day. It's a father-daughter story. It's got the little girl from them who I thought was really, really good. Need to learn her name. Uh, but this looks like it could be a nice, you know, modest hit for, for Netflix and uh, something that puts Kevin back, Kevin Hart back on the right track because I feel like he was lining up all these studio gigs at one point and then it kind of went away when there was some controversy. But like Kevin Hart seems like a pretty nice guy to me and a hardworking guy. And I think there's still a lot of love for him out there as a movie star. Uh, we also got a trailer for The Protégé, which is like a Maggie Q movie. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be like low budget B movie trash. And it was, it may very well be, it probably is, but they actually look pretty good. You know, they were big on the, from the director or from the studio that brought you John Wick. And it does have Sam Jackson and Michael Keaton, who are, you know, the kinds of guys that you want to see in a movie like this. I thought Maggie Q looked like a fucking badass. I've never been a big fan of hers. Uh, and, and you probably could have done this probably could have been like a, a real maybe hit for Lionsgate if they'd cast like a bigger name actress. Um, but, you know, for what it is, if, it, if they're just targeting, you know, action junkies and stuff, I, I thought it looked like it was delivering the goods on that front. Uh, we got a bunch of reviews this week. Army of the Dead hits. It comes out in theaters tomorrow and then it'll be on Netflix next Friday. It's a pretty standard issue zombie movie. Um, I, I have to say I prefer Dawn of the Dead which I, I just like the, the humor of that more. Uh, but the cast wasn't bad here. I, I think the cast probably bumped it up half a star for me. And there are some, you know, pretty cool kills, a couple cool ideas in this. I, I like the, the chemistry of the, the main ensemble. Uh, but yeah, in, in the end, it's two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. It, it just kills your pacing. I mean, it's, it's tough to have fun with a movie when it's two and a half hours and it's just dragging like a zombie movie should be like a hundred minutes, 110 minutes, even if it's two hours, that's one thing, but that extra half hour really did hurt this movie. In my opinion, I think if you're watching it, like it, it, you'll, you'll come away thinking that was fun. Uh, you might get a little restless in front of the TV. I would not rush out to see this thing on the big screen this weekend. I think if you were actually going to, to the theaters this weekend, I would probably see Spiral or Those Who Wish Me Dead, neither of which I've actually seen. I can't vouch for them, but I just think, you know, if Army of the Dead was a little bit better, I'd say go check it out. But I think as it, as it stands, you can probably get away with watching this one on Netflix. Uh, that Damn Michael Che is now streaming on HBO Max. I thought it was okay. You know, as with anything, there's going to be some good sketches and some bad sketches. But, uh, you know, I, I like what Che was going for. And then each episode was only like 19, 20 minutes. So it, it, it's very well paced. Um, I feel like that Gen Z hospital, Gen Z hospital or whatever sketch that he wrote this week on SNL and got a lot of flack for that sketch felt like it was 20 minutes. So um, the, the, that he's able to do a, a, a bunch of different things around one topic each episode. I, I think it's a good format for him. Uh, I'd recommend checking it out. I've only seen like half the episodes. Initiation came out this week. That's a uh, a fun, you know, like, I guess I, did we talk about that last week? I think we did. It's a, it's a decent genre picture, like a, 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 a whodunit slasher type of thing. Um, not quite what, what its trailer was selling, but, uh, but, but, but worth a look. Yeah, we did talk about it last week. I forgot. 
Um, City on a Hill. I asked on Insider Plus if anybody was like watching the show. Justin Crow is the only buddy, only person who actually responded to me. He texted me and said he's he's still on board. Um, the show's okay. You know, I, I'm never that excited to watch it. And while I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, this show just is not on par with the other stuff I'm watching on TV. And yet I can't tear myself away from it. I can't just cut bait because there is something good. Like there's something going on underneath the surface of the show. Uh, the first season was a little bit more exciting. You know, it's about more murders and, and bank robberies, and, you know, cops and robbers kind of stuff. This is um, a little bit more about, you know, the racial politics of Boston in the early nineties. So it's, it's, and, and there's just too much with like, you know, Kevin Bacon's family, quite frankly, um, but it, it's holding me over in, in these, you know, days without Ray Donovan and, and that kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I would give City on a Hill a few episodes, a, a chance if you've never seen it before. But I also understand if you're just like, eh, this is just uh, not quite for me. I would say my big recommendation this week is the indie movie Silo on BOD. It's about a, a kid who gets stuck in a grain entrapment. So just imagine being in a huge silo, a vertical tower full of grain. And, you know, you're getting sucked down like it's quicksand and, and they got to uh, do a rescue mission. This movie was only 69 minutes long. Um, so it, it, it flew by. I thought it was very, very effective. I also watched, God, there's so many movies this week. Mitchell's vs. the Machines on Netflix. Uh, that was a, a worthy investment of time. I mean, you know, a, a kid's movie thing, but it was clever and, and creative and colorful. Uh, a, a little bit too much for the Instagram generation. Um, but you know, you got to hand it to, to, to Lord and Miller um, just for the, the sheer energy that, that, that their animated movies uh, tend to have. I watched Above Suspicion, the, the long-delayed Philip Noyce movie with uh, Jack Houston and Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark's actually pretty good in this. Um, I don't know how much to say because it all kind of builds to the, the end scene, but it's like, there's a reason that they made this a movie in the first place. So like, don't you know that going in? This is about the first FBI agent who was um, uh, basically convicted of, of murder. Um, he, he basically, you know, gets in, gets a little too close to one of his informants and, uh, and, and you know, he has a family of his own and, and it spells disaster. Um, so, you know, an, a, a, a two and a half star movie, it, would I call it good? No. Would I call it bad? No, it was okay. It is exactly what you're expecting for a 699 VOD rental. Uh, Oxygen is on Netflix now. That is Alexandra Aja, 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 uh, his new movie with Melanie Laurent. And don't read that variety review. I'll tell you that I read the variety review and literally in the first sentence, the, mo the movie got spoiled. So steer clear of that. Don't understand why Variety did that in the first place and why they wouldn't take it out after Netflix asked them to, uh, which I know for a fact that they did. <coughs> um, it was okay. That movie also felt a little long. Um, like it was just trying to keep the mystery going too long. No, I, I would watch the the um, the subtitled version, not the dubbed version, uh, just because it, it, it it's like it's one woman and, and her performance basically. Like you want to be able to to for the words to like fucking match what's coming out of her mouth. I'm not a, just not a fan of dubbing, and, and I watched I want to say like Glow Zero and Red Dot dubbed on Netflix, 
And I, I regret those decisions. I, you know, subtitled is always the way to go. Oxygen, it had, um, you know, it had some decent surprises and, and twists and turns towards towards the end. I would say overall, though, I still preferred Stowaway, uh, uh, which came out a couple of weeks earlier. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, track down that that uh, Anna Kendrick Tony Collette movie. And finally, Wrath of Man. Just uh, you know, the more I thought about that movie, the more I didn't really care for it. Um, it got some really impressive reviews. I'm just like, I don't know what this person was smoking, uh, you know, it, it was okay. I think it was like mid-level Guy Ritchie. It wasn't quite Lock, Stock, Snatch the Gentleman, but it also wasn't, you know, Revolver and Rock and Rolla, which I, I did not care for. I, it just, you know, I thought that he misused Statham. Uh, I thought Statham was a little too serious, a little too, you know, ma you know man with no name, you know, playing it cool and quiet. I like when Statham has a personality, when he when he has a sense of humor. This movie did not have the, the, the Guy Ritchie trademark sense of humor. Um, yeah, it it, uh, it didn't quite work for me. I did like that score, though. I did like that score. All right, we're going to wrap up with, some, with a bunch of mailbag questions in the next few minutes. Uh, mailbag, via Joe, a.k.a. Clowny, he says, I know Sony will net about $3 billion between the Netflix deal and the Disney deal for streaming, but they're also only the only studio with no direct-to-consumer service. With that said, they seem primed to be the next studio to go the route of 20th Century Fox within the next decade. My question, if Sony were to be sold, could they make more selling off or packaging IP versus selling the whole studio? If they did go the IP route, what studios do you think would be after which IP? Side note, if Sony as a whole were to be sold, I could see Apple having the most to gain by purchasing their library. Yeah, Sony's library is obviously very valuable. Um, Sony did recently announce that they were going to be putting, like building up Crackle again, I believe. Um, like I think that they invested in some Crackle originals. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, they need a new name. They probably just need to rebrand it as Sony Plus or whatever. Like there's nothing keeping Sony from entering the streaming wars. I think Sony would probably be better off selling, you know, IP to streamers just because it seems like the streamers always overpay and they're always desperate, you know, like 150 million for fucking coming to America. Give me a fucking break. Um, so I don't think Sony would have to try too hard. Plus it could, it could focus on keeping costs down, knowing full well that they were just going to, you know, set, sell it off for, for the biggest profit to a streamer. Um, yeah, the, the studio could always be sold and, and, you know, so could Paramount, so could Lionsgate. And yeah, the streamers are the, are the buyers in that equation. Um, you know, as far as which IP, I'm sure Disney would and Marvel would want to get its hands on this, the Spider-Man IP, obviously. Uh, you know, would, would Disney do something with Men in Black or maybe Warner Brothers trying to like pick up the Men in Black franchise or something like that? I really don't know. I don't know if, if Tarantino, I mean, Tarantino, I think, gets the rights to, uh, what was it? Um, I guess Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like he already made that deal. So like Sony doesn't even have like Tarantino IP. <laughs> I don't know. I'd really have to go and, and look through what IP Sony has to figure out, you know, what would go where. But I, I do think it makes sense to continue to, to basically say, hey, if we've got something, we're going to put it out in theaters on our own. And if we don't feel like this is a theatrical release and we don't have, you know, a streaming service like the other studios do, we're just going to sell it off. You know, Escape Room 2, maybe that's not worth putting 30 to $40 million into a, a theatrical marketing campaign. 
all right, let's put it on Netflix where, you know, Taylor Russell stars on Lost in Space and, and you know, she has a fan base already. We know, I don't know. Derek Walker Jr. got a couple of questions. Uh, wondering what your thoughts on Viggo Mortensen reuniting with David Cronenberg for the film Crimes of the Future. I'm a huge fan of both those men and the premise of this film sounds like we get some good old body horror from Cronenberg. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think I missed that announcement a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I saw it when it broke, but I don't think I ever talked about it on this podcast. And yeah, I'm into it. I liked Cronenberg working with, with Vigo. Um, I wonder if Vigo, you know, bailed on, on the, the Vietnam Fairly movie in order to do this Cronenberg one. Because what I was told was that um, Vigo uh, had, had scheduling issues. Him and Dylan, all I heard was that scheduling issues for him and Dylan O'Brien. And, you know, that could always be a bullshit response that's covering for something more nefarious. Um, or, or just different. Like I said, I think Russell Crowe and, and Zac Efron are just bigger stars, but uh, may, maybe this really was in first position all along. And, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I do like a history of violence a lot. So hopefully they will come up with something really cool on this one. Derek also asks, it seems like there hasn't been as many romantic comedies being made over the last few years or even a big audience for them. Do you think this is the result of the all the reality dating TV shows, the Hallmark and Lifetime showing romance movies, you know, 365 days a year, or the comedies can be so hit and miss these days with some people being sensitive to the types of jokes we've seen in rom-coms in the past. Uh, Derek, all great points. I think it's a combination of all three of those things. I think that there are a ton of reality dating shows. I think that there are, you know, obviously a lot of Hallmark and Lifetime, uh, you know, romance movies, but, you know, a lot of it is just, the romance movies that we are seeing are YA movies. You know, they are even even this week, like Louis Tan signing on to join um, Emma Roberts in About Fate. Uh, my friend Rebecca Ewing wrote that Netflix movie coming up with like it was uh, Jimmy Jimmy O Yang, right? So it's like younger people. Um, you know, to all the boys, like Noah Centennio, The Perfect Day, it's that kind of shit. It's not these A-list stars like Julia Roberts uh, doing the rom-com stuff anymore. And I don't know, I don't really know why that is. Maybe it is because, you know, people are more sensitive these days. Although that's more in like, you know, the type of jokes that we saw in Apatow comedies, not, not so much rom-coms, which are, you know, typically more sensitive um, and the, the comedy is very, you know, female focused. Um, but, I, but I imagine it is all three of those things. It may also just be like the, this, the, 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 so not the Julia Roberts, George Clooney, because they're, they're making a rom-com coming up, the Ticket to Paradise, but like that next generation, like Jake Gyllenhaal. So Jake Gyllenhaal did like Love and Other Drugs, right? That was his like rom-com. But like, you don't see him doing that stuff. Tom Hardy, Chris Pine, they did, I mean, it was an action rom-com, but like this means war, right? Didn't work out so well for them. Like uh, maybe that generation of movie star just doesn't really see the upside in being part of a romantic comedy or, I don't know. It, it's, it's tricky. I, I, is Donald Glover, like, isn't he doing like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Is it him and like Phoebe Waller-Bridge maybe, or? I'm totally blanking because like thinking you know donald lover rihanna uh, yeah we need we need our mr and mrs smith um i just don't know if, if big major stars are doing that stuff anymore anyways we can move on i started you know i went off 
I, I lost track of that question. Uh, Will Drowdulus says, hey, Jeff, I was curious to hear your opinion on Toby Emmerich reports that he may be leaving Warner Brothers, but what kind of ripple effect it could have. Is this something that could oh, that could win back the talent that was angry over at HBO Max, uh, the, the day and date move? That, so that's another fascinating thing. I actually did not see that Toby Emmerich story until I read this email from Will. And basically, it's just a story from, I think, Kim Masters at Hollywood Reporter saying that David Geffen put in a call to Ted Sarandos and Netflix to see if something were to happen with Toby, would there be a spot for him at Netflix? And it sounded like there was, there would not be. Um, now, why would Toby leave? So, so Will sort of frames it as, is this something that could win back the talent? If Toby leaves, could that win back the talent? I don't think it was really Toby's decision. I think it was Jason Kalar's decision to, to, to do that. And particular, and like I understand what what Jason Clark was saying, where it's like, did the did 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 Chris Nolan and, and Denis Villeneuve did, did those guys expect us to call seventeen people uh, who are above the line on each movie before we made that announcement? Like you you, you can't do that because that's how word gets out. And uh, so like I, I understand why Warner Brothers had, and Warner Media specifically had to play that one close to the, the chest. Um, you know, I, may, maybe Toby Eberick is, is finding it tough to bring in top filmmakers and stars because of that Kalar movement. So he's the one who wants out. Maybe it's not like, you know, they're getting rid of Toby and, and now we can get Chris Nolan back to the studio. Um, and maybe Toby's like, I want to work with Chris Nolan and I'm having trouble getting him back to the studio because of what Jason Kalar's decision was. So I want to go elsewhere so that I can, you know, capitalize on the relationships that I've built. Uh, it, it is a good question. I think Toby Emmerich is a really, really good executive. Um, I don't think that the Warner Brothers move was that crazy. I think it was just the way that it was communicated. Uh, that, that, that was the real issue. And, um, but I think Toby will land on his feet. You know, maybe Alan Horn comes back, who knows? And there was a report yesterday, I think uh, that my pals Brent Lang and Brent, uh, sorry, Brent Lang and Matt Donnelly at Variety said something to the effect of like, you know, Bob Chappick has really taken over for Bob Iger. Like he's, he's stepped up on the creative side and so has Alan, uh, I forget if it's Bregman or Bergman, fuck. Uh, I think it's Bergman, but um, you know, Bergman has sort of edged out Alan Horn and what Alan Horn's been doing over there. So Alan Horn may be out. He may very well retire. I mean, he's got to be in the 70s at least. Uh, but maybe Alan Horn ends up back at his old job at Warner Brothers. You just, you never know these days. Anything can happen. Um, we're almost done, I swear. <laughs> Three more. Keltrick Pickens says, hey, Jeff, two questions this week. Zack Snyder has been very vocal this week while promoting Army of the Dead. How much freedom Netflix allowed him while making his movie? Do you think the dominance of the streaming age will force movie studios like Warner Brothers, Sony, Disney, et cetera, to allow more freedom to directors? If not, they could just go to Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and get a blank check. Um, I think that the blank check thing sounds nice when you're a filmmaker, but uh, it hasn't worked out so well for anybody. I don't think Martin Scorsese is making the best work of his career with a blank check. I don't think Zack Snyder is making the best work of his career with a blank check. So it's kind of helpful to have limitations and, and restraints in place and to have executives who will actually call you on your shit and, and challenge you and just try to help you find the, the best movie in there rather than just say, all right, here's a blank check, go off and do your thing. We don't care how it turns out because we're not trying to get people into the theaters to see this. 
We just need them to, to click on the box at home and, and, that, and that view makes it worth it for us. So it's just a totally different, you know, model that, that, that Netflix and the streamers are working off of. Um, not just in terms of like how we consume the things on those platforms, but the green light process itself and, and, and budgets and, and then things. Keltrick also asked, I've seen some early Oscar 2022 predictions on film Twitter. If I had to predict, Jeff, what films do I think will be the front runners? And do I buy into the idea that the Eternals has a real chance like some think? I don't really know what the hell the Eternals is about. Uh, no, I probably do not think that it, it, it has a real chance. I mean, when you say a real chance, a real chance at what? A nomination at a win? <clears throat> I, I, I am not sure, uh, but I'm not, not really getting an awards vibe from that, even with Chloe Zhao at the helm. Um, I think it's just too early to say. I, I would really have to take a look at the list of, of contenders. I don't, you know, I saw, you know, Variety did this exercise a few weeks ago. I don't see a you know harder the harder they fall, which is like the, the all black western. I don't really see that being like an awards contender, although I could be wrong. You never know how studios position this stuff. It's not just about the movie; it's the way it's the release date and and, and the way the the movie's written about and, and positioned. Um, I don't think the French Dispatch will really be the one. I don't think that Paul Thomas Anderson's thing will really be the one. I think it could really you know something like In the Heights could be a major, major contender this year. Um, so, so could West Side Story if it's great, but from what I've heard in, in the Heights, maybe may the one to beat, you never know. Uh, we, you know. It's been a long time since we gave Best Picture to a musical, Chicago. So maybe, maybe they'll give it in the Heights to sort of make up for, for La La Land, which I thought deserved it over, over Moonlight. Final question, Robert G says, hey Jeff, I was wondering what you would consider to be the worst movie you've ever seen in the theater. Did you end up walking out? For me, it was Son of the Mask or Grown Ups 2, although I did stay the whole time for both. Rob, you are a glutton for punishment. I mean, Grown Ups 2 is one thing, but Son of the Mask. Why do you even see that movie? I mean, it looked terrible. The worst movie I ever saw in theaters, well, it, it's, a, it's a little bit different for me because I go to festivals. And I've seen some really awful movies at festivals. Um, I mean, I saw Yoga Hosers in a theater. That was terrible. I saw... You know, that, that Shudder movie, Scare Me, that was pretty bad. Um, just things that, like, don't belong in movie theaters. As far as, like, a you know, a, a studio movie with stars, I, I have to say the Independence Day sequel was embarrassing, and I did walk out of that one, uh, Independence Day Resurgence or whatever the fuck it is. And then just growing up, I remember taking a, a girl to see A Night at the Roxbury, which was bad. I mean, that was a bad choice. Um, so listen, you know, it, it happens. These trailer editors in Hollywood are, are whizzes. They can get me to show up for almost anything. And then naturally, you know, I, I leave disappointed. Anyways, that was, we went way over on the show. It's, I, I got to wrap this up. Thank you for watching the Snyder Cut episode 83. Follow me on InSnyder Plus. Stay tuned to the InSnyder on Twitter for details about the InSnyder College. Because I really do want to do that. Uh, it, I've got a, you know, a couple hectic weeks and months coming up in my life. Uh, my brother's getting married. I am trying to move back to Los Angeles soon. Uh, just a lot going on. So I may wait until I've settled in with, into my new apartment and, and things like that. Um, but you never know. Class could be in session sooner than you think. Uh, that's it. That's it. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Keep wearing the masks when you're indoors and 
in, in crowded places. I went to the mall today to get my computer fixed. And it was like, I was overwhelmed being in the mall, not because there were so many people because there weren't, but just, I wanted to go into every store. I was, I, it was just the colors, the, the smells, the music, but I had to wear a mask. So don't forget this thing ain't over. Get vaccinated and I'll see you next week. Later.